This is Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It's Thursday, March 5th, 2020. This is episode 601 of the podcast. Uh, you may hear it. I, I'm, I've always I've been walking around, you know, uh, kind of looking askance at uh, all these people complaining about being sick all the time and put, you know, my nose up in the air. Now it's a stuffed nose that I'm putting up in the air, but uh, I... Uh, you know, just peep the coronavirus. I kind of like, well, just just be uh, safe and you know, uh, be live a live a pure life. You know, and you 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 don't have to get sick. Don't do things to excess. Anyway, blam this week just clobbered by this virus that I've gotten. It, I I coincidentally had a uh, doctor's appointment anyway this past Monday. So uh, I did confirm that this is just a typical virus that I have. And it's not the the symptoms are actually pretty small. Uh, only a little little bit of a pinkness in my throat, uh, just a little discoloration of, of uh, some bodily fluids that come out of your nose. I don't want to get too specific here. I don't want to get too technical. I don't want to lose you. But anyway, I've been Oh, my God, I had a um, I thought it was over the hump actually the other day, and uh, I woke up yesterday feeling like I got run over by uh, a bus or something. I just I had a I guess overnight a little fever. I was chilly, and I don't really sleep with a blanket. The apartment is warm, so I kind of usually just have a sheet over me. But last night I was really cold, and then I woke up with a, definitely a fever, a small, very low grade, re- really really low grade. But it's amazing how just half of a degree to a degree can actually make you feel so horrible. But today, even though my voice may uh, signal otherwise I actually feel so much better I was even considering not doing a podcast this week and that I may not have been a first when I very early on I think I took some time off here and there on holidays and I you know with the intention of putting up like a a, you know collection of a or like a repeat you know like they do on tv but I, I was I just I've never really missed very I've rarely missed any any podcast uh, uploads. So this week is a, a, I'm sort of compromising. This this has been a preamble like I've never done. If you listen to the show, and I promise, other than some Advil, I'm not on anything right now. But I did uh, decide to scale back on this episode because. Uh, I just I didn't have time during the week, feeling lousy as I did, to focus on editing a second segment, which I normally would have done for this episode. But in a way, I'm glad. I'm kind of glad because, first of all, I have been trying to streamline the show a little bit. You know, when I for years I was just putting up so much content, overdoing it. I mean, you know, my listeners, I I probably put off countless people by the sheer amount of content uh, I was doing. I would put up an episode with three segments, sometimes four. I mean, not typically four, but there may be like, you know, tons of stuff I'm talking about. Too much for people to keep up with or to, like if I'm talking about three different films that are opening on a Friday, it's, it's kind of counterproductive at a certain point, you know? Uh, so it's been a conscious decision to streamline the show a little bit and to have longer, more nuanced conversations, which I think is what people like at least the people that are going to listen to my show. 
and maybe fewer guests, fewer segments, just more longer, nuanced talk with industry professionals, right? This episode would have normally been part of a double segment show because it's about a half hour long, but honestly, there's no reason to crowbar a second segment in if I don't need to. So I'm making this, this is going to be a real brief episode for Film Wax Radio, but that's fine. In a way, the other thing I like about this, I said, this is like number two, is that these are friends of mine. The producer of the booksellers, which is the film I'm about to go to, uh, is a friend of mine, Judith Mizraki, and uh, her uh, husband is uh, a friend, and his name is D.W. Young, and I haven't had either of them on the show before, so this is nice. They're joined by another producer of the film who is also in the film. His name is Dan Wexler, so he is a bookseller. And bookseller, the term bookseller, for our sake today, is a is shorthand for rare book, seller, collector, however you want to say it. We'll get to the description of the film uh, in a moment. So I'm glad because I, I can just focus on this film, tell you guys, if you're in the New York area, uh, I, w- I want people to go out and see this documentary. Let me just say, even though Saturday I will be doing two Q&As, and I'm going to tell you about that in a second, on Friday night, the opening night, Parker Posey, who is an executive producer on this film, will be there. And my buddy, Eugene Hernandez from Film at Lincoln Center, is going to be doing the Q&A. And I think that's connected to this thing that Judith originally reached out to Eugene late in the summer, I guess, or they were putting together the New York Film Festival still, so had to be before the fall when they're programming it. And I sent a note to one of the programmers with a link to this film. This is, okay, last summer. And, you know, I'm assuming Judith's email or reaching out to Eugene, who's doing the Q&A tomorrow, and who is now the director of the festival. That probably is what did it. I'm just saying it's, it's possible. It's in the realm of possibility that my email to Dennis Lim, who is now the director of programming, I think that's his title. I, I could have it wrong. At the, so everybody's been, uh, everybody's gotten promotions except for me. Uh, they, I am on the screening committee, so I just want to say that everybody there uh, got promoted, and and now I, I don't know if. Uh, but going back to last summer, I don't know if my email had any part in the booksellers being in the New York Film Festival this past fall, but it was. So that was great, and now it's going to be at the Quad in New York City. It's going to be opening on Friday, March 6th. That's tomorrow as I record this at the Quad. It'll be in Toronto at the Tiff Bell Lightbox, a beautiful theater. I've been there. March 11th. And it will also be at the Hot Docs Ted Rogers Cinema. I don't know who this Ted Rogers is, but Rogers is like, you know, the phone system there. He's obviously a big media magnate. Uh, But it opens there at March 13th. It'll be in Newport, Rhode Island at Redwood Library in Athenium. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I'm not a Greek scholar. March 26th, and then on and on. So if you go to, by the way, booksellersdocumentary.com slash screenings, you can find it there. We'll put a link uh, in the show notes. It's going all around the country. They have a great distributor named Greenwich Entertainment, who are also responsible for distributing our friend Jeremy Workman's recent documentary, The World Before Our Feet, and a couple of other films that I think we've talked about on the show. But let's go back to the quad and what and, the, and what's going on. So Friday, uh, Eugene will be doing the Q&A with uh, actor and executive producer of the film, Parker Posey. 
And, of course, uh, the director, D.W. Young, will be there as well. And that's on Friday night, the 7 o'clock screening. Now, on Saturday, March 7th, there'll be a couple of screenings. And guess who's doing the Q&A? Your friend, Film Wax Radio host, Adam Shartoff. So, you see, it's all very, very, uh, you know, uh, it's very incestuous here. So if you come to the 2.30 screening on March 7th, that's this Saturday, I will be doing a Q&A with the Strand Bookstore co-owner, Nancy Bass Wyden. Her dad opened the Strand years back, Fred Bass, and director, D.W. Young. And then in the evening, because I love these guys, I'm sticking around. Do you know the type punch matrix? Okay, so he, Rebecca Romney is uh, one, of the, uh, one of the hosts, stars of this uh, reality show about uh, rare book dealers and uh i guess she deals in antiques and collectibles I, i'm not i don't watch the show yet i have to take some looks at it actually before saturday so i i go in there knowing my my stuff here right but i'm going to be interviewing or doing q a rather with rebecca and with heather o'donnell who is uh from uh, honey and wax booksellers which i think is a new bookstore in the city along with director dw young so that's at seven o'clock so I'm, I'm certain there must be a few tickets left at this point. I'm not sure about Friday night. That might be sold out. You can try. Let me see. I'm going to go to the 7 o'clock screening. Right. I'm, I'm saying you can try it out, but I can too. It was March 6th, 7 o'clock. I'm clicking on 7 o'clock. There still seems to be tickets on Friday night. So I don't know. I'm going to try to stop by. I want to meet Parker Posey. And uh, uh, so... Anyway, go to the Quad Cinema website to get tickets right now. I'll put again, I'll put a link in the show notes. Okay, so after all that preamble, what is the film? Well, let me just tell you. Antiquarian booksellers are part scholar, part detective, and part business person, and their personalities and knowledge are as broad as the material they handle. They also play an underappreciated yet essential role in preserving history. The booksellers, the documentary, takes viewers inside their small but fascinating world, populated by an assortment of obsessives, intellects, eccentrics, and dreamers. Executive produced by Parker Posey, the film features interviews with uh, some of the most important dealers in the business, as well as prominent collectors, auctioneers, and writers, such as Fran Leibowitz, Susan Orlean, Kevin Young, and Gay Talese. Both a loving celebration of book culture and a serious exploration of the future of the book, the film also examines technology's impact on the trade, the importance of books as physical objects, the decline of used and rare bookstores, collecting obsessions, and the relentless hunt for the next great find. So there you go. Again, coming right now, here is a conversation with director D.W. Young, producers Judith Mizraki and Dan Wexler, the name of the documentary, The Booksellers, opening tomorrow, Friday, March 6th, at Quad Cinema here in New York, only on Film Wax Radio. It's a film crew here at the moment. Right. A friend of mine's doing a documentary on booksellers, and I'm a bookseller. It would be very interesting to stop somebody on the street and say, if I say rare book dealer, what do you think of? Older man, elbow patches. Tweed. <laughs> the Strand was founded by my grandfather in an area called Book Row. Our business was started by our father in 1925. People always asked him, how did you get all three daughters to work for you? And he would say, I guess I'm just lucky. In the 1950s, there were 368 bookstores in New York City. Today, I went and counted, and there were 79. One of the things I remember about those guys, they were very irritated 
if you wanted to buy a book. They were there so they could read all day. Collecting is about the hunt. The internet has killed the hunt. What the internet did was change the way we talked about what was rare. For a lot of dealers, it was devastating, and it destroyed their livelihood. A lot of people wonder, where's the future of this industry going? It is consistently my experience as a younger dealer that I am talking to older dealers who are so pessimistic, and they're saying, I don't know what you're going to do. And I'm like, I have so many ideas. We're part of a boom in independent bookshops that really engage with their neighborhood in a way that the old chain stores never did. I think it has to come with a love of the material. A good bookseller absolutely is another kind of discoverer and thinker of history. The people that I see reading actual books on the subway are mostly in their 20s. This is one of the few encouraging things you will ever see in a subway. There's obviously a love for it. It's frustrating at times. Is this something you wake up and you say, thank God, I found this? What else would you rather do? Here's an unusual title, Amish Love. Wow, that's quite a picture. The name of the, uh, the documentary we're meeting about is called The Booksellers. It's uh, premiering theatrically here in New York at the Quad Cinema here at um, March 6th. On March 6th. Who's this? This is Judith Mizraki. You're the one of the producers? Yes, I'm one of the producers. The film premieres March 6th at the Quad in New York. Uh -huh. um, it will then be in L.A. on April 3rd. Uh -huh. And then there'll be a, a, a national rollout around the country. Um, and it will be in Toronto. It'll be in Barcelona. We have a bunch of screenings coming wow. up. Yeah. Oh. Is that going to be like a theatrical at those? At those or is that... Uh, there's going to be, uh, it'll be at the TIFF Lightbox um, for a one-night screening in mm -hmm. Toronto, and then there'll be a, an opening at the at the Hot Docs Ted Rogers Cinema for a, for a week, I believe. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. And the film is uh, directed by D.W. Young, who, oh, he's here. <laughs> How nice. Present. Now, sound, try to sound unscripted when I talk to you. <laughs> and then we'll, finally, Dan Wexler, who's a producer on the film, and also... A rare book collector and seller. That's fair. That's how you make a living? Yep, in yes. part or yes, in great yes. part? Uh, so he's joining us as well. And so welcome, everybody. Uh, D Thank you. DW, just if you don't mind, tell me how you came to this project because uh, unless you're already in the community, uh, you know, I would be, uh, I wouldn't understand why it would be a compelling subject unless you understand, oh, there's actually really interesting characters here. There's a lot of humanity. There's a lot of uh, passion about the printed matter, about books. Uh, they're important. We're at a kind of a crucial period the last 20 years in terms of the, the uh, I guess, the, the future of books, what that's going to look like and all. So it's a, in a way, it's a very timely project. But what was your story? Well, so the, the origins of the project really lay with Dan. Um, he's the one who had the original idea for a document about the book trade. We... I think it was about seven years ago, we were having lunch, the three of us, yeah. and we'd become friends and worked on some projects together. Okay. Um, and Dan mentioned he'd always thought that would be a great subject for a documentary. Mm -hmm. And Judith and I really immediately agreed. We kind of um, were book people, too. Um, my aunt and uncle were also booksellers. And oh, really? I used, as a kid, you know, visit their shop. And stuff. so I had a little Where sense. Where was that? That was in Philadelphia. And oh, okay. A little sense of this world uh, from the periphery. Um, and so I, I think we latched on to the idea and thought it was a great idea, but we didn't pursue it at the time for various reasons. Um, and then we were working on something else a few years ago that had kind of stalled out for a while. Mm -hmm. And, um, I thought, you know, this would be a great time to maybe 
pursue the, the rare book doc idea. And mm-hmm. so uh, kind of jumped right into it. Mm-hmm. And, and how did you, Dan, how did you uh, originally, what, what led you to your, you know, to becoming a uh, rare book collector? How young were you? Because you're still well, I, very young. And these books, young. most of these books I'm looking at were in your office Bo- here well, books, uh, on the Upper East Side. And they are older than you are. That's so. true for, for most of the, even the, <laughs> the, um, the oldest booksellers in the, uh, in All the right, well, we don't community of rare book dealers. They're not here, though. <laughs> um, but, well, yes. I guess, I mean, I, I've been, I, I worked in a bookshop after a, a brief stint as a failed waiter right out of college, and I found the, the bookshop much more to my liking. And, and, Waiters? Uh, now that's a subject for a documentary. <laughs> yeah, well, um, we'll get right on that. Um, but uh, so it, it was really just, I've always loved books, and um, as I as the years went by, I, I met all these fascinating characters. And yeah. um, with Dave and Jewett, uh, it was one of those things where we, as, uh, as D.W. Was, say, D.W. was saying, we, he worked on, we worked on each other's projects, mm-hmm. and uh, you're always kind of talking about film. And so at, on the one hand, it doesn't seem like a likely subject for a documentary, but there are very few worlds that haven't been looked at in film. But surprisingly, this book world was one of them and I always thought it would make a fascinating story to tell in part because of all the the characters in the in the business. Mhm. DW. I think the other thing and someone asked me this question just the other night at a Q&A was um I think we we all Where were you? Uh it was in um Pelham uh, in Westchester. Oh, a screening service okay. there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pretty interesting one. It's a surprise screening. So you, the people come, they don't know. They what had no idea. What, oh, that's yeah. nice. Marshall what was Fine. the reaction Marshall to it? Fine. Maybe you can tell. Marshall. That, yeah, I know yeah. Marshall. He's been on the show. Um, it's pretty his good book right now for the most part. Um, so um, I think the other thing, though, that that um, we all I think immediately were pretty uh, optimistic about was that visually that we that, that there could be a compelling movie here as well. Uh-huh. And um, I think the question that I had gotten was, you know. It didn't seem like at face value that this would make that a movie about books would be interesting at all visually, mm-hmm. but I think we we all felt from the beginning that that was it was quite the opposite and that there was a lot there and I think um, Dan knew that sort of in, more you know naturally and intimately from all the years here, but I think you know Judith and I also um, just from our own experience with the books and I think also from having visited the Armory Show once before this, which Dan is only had brought a, us out just um, a couple of blocks from uh, one block from where we are right now. Actually. You know, even if you have some, uh, I guess, mm-hmm. slight of, uh, awareness of rare books, yeah. when you go there, you really understand the breadth of the material and just what what's in play. So, I think that also can be very uh, eye opening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the documentary, it's, and it's called The Booksellers, it's, it, it starts, I believe, at the book fair, the New York book fair, right, which takes place at the Park Avenue Armory. And our, the film's uh, going to be year. opening on March 6th to coincide with the book fair this year, oh, so nice. it'll both be That's happening. Good idea. Um, what a happy coincidence. Yes. <laughs> if if no, someone hasn't been to... Can you get a discount to the movie if you could... Never mind. If you show a ticket stubbed for the park... I mean, sh- go ahead, Dan. If that you, would be an interesting thing to do, actually. Not a bad idea. Make a note. For someone who hasn't been to the book fair before, I haven't. The first thing that they're surprised about when they walk in is it feels much more like an art fair in the sense it's so visual. So that's I think what DW was was getting at with the um, why we thought it would be so compelling for film. People think of books, okay, it's reading 
you have a bunch of people reading in a film. I mean, what's that going to be about? Yeah. But it's such a, a lush visual experience going through the history of books. The timing of the film in itself, in of itself, is is kind of great because I feel like we are on the cusp. I mean, we've been talking about this cusp for probably two, 20 years or something, but it feels as though the future of books is, you know, this this the film kind of grapples with that as a sort of a, a, a sort of a secondary subject. Uh, what is the future of, of books? Even though this is about collectors and about the love of, of the printed matter, at the same time, it does deal with what that future might look like because of the digital world and how that's affected this particular subculture. Yeah, I think what we found out is that no one can agree. So yeah, um, I think there's a lot of there's a mix yeah. of optimism no and consensus. pessimism. Yeah, and um, so it, it's murky waters. Uh, you know, in, in some respects, there's optimism with millennials are reading quite a lot, um, and and yes, buying books and ebooks have not yeah. really um, been that successful in the end. Um, they haven't really displaced right? physical books. That, no. no, they've kind of plateaued, from my understanding. Um, but on the other hand, I think you know. Social media, uh, you know, handheld devices, phones, et cetera, have displaced a lot of reading habits. And so I, I think a lot of it looks... It's shortened attention span. Attention that much span, we absolutely. definitely know, yeah. right? So, yeah, go ahead. I don't think it's even in the film. One dealer talked about, you know, being in, in an airplane and looking down the aisles from the back. And not a single person was reading a book, you know. Um, whereas, obviously, 20 years ago, that would have been mm. totally different. Well, that flight might have been going to L.A. Right. Just let's not get uh, too uh, hung up on that. Although there are a lot of rare book uh, dealers and eh, business in L.A. Actually. <laughs> you don't have to defend L.A. I just I, insulted the entire city. There, goes, a, my, there goes my audience. A lot so. of orders go out to L.A. Okay. If you want me to start naming states that uh, what What's the biggest, don't uh, biggest book collecting state, then? We think? Uh, well, it's California. You, you'd have to account, of course, for the population of the states. Right. So sure. it's easy to say that New York and California are, are no. the most. But um, when wealth, where wealth is too, because right? to be a book collector, you got to have some 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 R- rare book fairs cheddar. tend to be in big cities. You, yeah. you don't have them in um, in in out of the way in the Ozarks, yeah. for instance. I see. To think back to what you Judith. were saying, there's definitely a um, what we definitely see is people are just hungry for. Physical objects, um, yeah, print print materials, right. and this you know, right. and especially like it's actually interesting that younger people have known that their whole lives. They they you know they actually want to read like actual books. So yeah, remember? I, think we, I don't think it's going sorry. anywhere. I don't think. Yeah, no, no. But always again, be. there's there's disagreement about that. Remember the death of vinyl? Yeah, yeah. But I think I think the question becomes, if is it if younger people up to a certain point like collecting vinyl say are interested in sort of these obscure physical objects as collectible, you know, items, it, that's not necessarily the equivalent of an entire generation that was brought up reading physical books and has an sort of inherent attachment to books from their childhood growing up that's that's deeper. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it's not a question of will they go away as collectibles. They're, I think it's very clear. And I think one, uh, Nicole Lowry in the movie points out that even if books disappeared completely, that that would make them all strangely more collectible to a lot of people because right. they'd be even yes you know um, less prevalent more of an imperative to yeah. like to 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 yeah but uh, that may really then narrow overall the number of people interested in doing so perhaps um, so a lot of questions 
I wanted to squeeze this in a few seconds ago when we when it came up, but one of your film subjects, my dear friend Fran Leibowitz, uh, she mentioned that uh, uh, she mentioned that uh, that when she's riding the subway, as she so often does, um, it's usually where I run into her. That uh, she, when she's looking around, the majority of people she thinks are are reading books are uh, young people in their twenties and thirties, what have you, and that most people, uh, the data may show, is that reads digital content is are people a little older of an older generation but these are two different groups of people that we're throwing together and maybe you were trying to distinguish between make a distinction between the two that people that buy books or read books physical books i'm talking about really are separate subject matter from what we're talking about in terms of collectibles right i mean there is obviously a venn diagram of the of that but i mean very few rare book collectors probably are walking around with their uh you know um digital readers the kindles kindles i don't want to do an ad for amazon without getting paid for it so <laughs> but yeah i think that's fair to say i don't dan could correct me but i don't think many book collectors are ebook readers <laughs> or you know but they're all readers i mean obviously uh, there are probably exceptions i mean i yeah. think you could you could find right uh that rare book that that yeah. you know when they go on vacation for example sure. they have their uh, ipad it, it i guess it there's a tactile quality to the book right. that uh, it's kind of, you know, you don't have this. It's not the same thing when you're, and that's For been sure. the real reason, I think, while the, those, um, the, it hasn't replaced the printed book. And also one of the reasons why books have always been so collectible. Yes. If you go back, I mean, f- since they uh, were first made, you know, the first uh-huh. books, uh that were that were printed and before that manuscripts and they were highly desirable and that people I, th- I think the fact that you touch them and that you turn the pages all these aspects of them that are still the case are yeah. a big well, reason why they're collected to be fair there was no uh, binge watching hulu series of you know to compete at the time so there was something to do with it and the film does touch on that that there there weren't as much entertainment at home especially you know it's like you you may have had a piano if you're lucky but uh where people gather around but otherwise entertainment at home might have been reading and or reading aloud maybe to each other uh right hmm. and and the other thing um when books were young i mean back to what we were saying before is that you know it's not it's it's, of course reading is the major aspect of books but there's also when you're dealing with old books you're dealing with which i think uh bill reese says in the film Mm -hmm. um evidence from the past so a physical book has something that digital books can never have which is uh, uh, annotations and how the book is treated and uh, various things that will tell you about ownership and, mm-hmm. and oh, right. printing it tells a story. It's styles a nice point. I thought that was a nice moment in the yeah. film where whoever was narrating that part that was you I believe Dan right uh, <laughs> just take credit no who's, who's saying <laughs> I've that? certainly said it before but like no, a, not it was a woman moment. I think actually who sa- was saying how the, Maybe not, uh, but it was uh, one of the collectors was talking about how the book itself just tells a story from, or maybe it was more more the case in the past, uh, w- or it is with older books where you can actually open it up and look, and there's there's right. mystery Part in books. There's mystery. I mean, the fact yeah. that you know, put a painting on the wall, you don't yeah. usually touch your right. collected. That's uh, true. Painting. I right. mean, you look at them, and that's one of the reasons why they're so collectible. They're easy to display. Yeah. But the, what the advantage that the book has for people who do love to collect them uh, is, is that you get to touch them and that there's often things that you discover right. about them long after you've had them already. No. And that can be in the, the person who owned it previously 
um, and that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, every, every book has a unique history. Yes. So, right. And and you never you'll never have that with an ebook or a digital no. Uh, no. format. No. Right. My personal experience is I feel like the only time the digital version might be a nice companion to the physical is you know like the city lifestyle uh, running around like to have a book with me as I showed you I have a uh, Marshall Fine's book in fact but uh the the like if I carry around a recent book I read which was uh Ely Kazan's memoir which is 800 plus pages and I have a f- I actually have a hardbound copy of that so I bought that paperback version of it actually not the digital version but that's a case where it makes a lot of sense especially if you're on a plane ride I understand it makes perfect sense when you're trying to economize on your you know, but I'm getting. No, I think that's distracted. all fair. And then, I like you yeah. know, newspapers, it's a, it's a nice research material where right. searchability and port, I mean, you know. Oh yeah, it, that's true. obviously there are really significant reasons to go yeah. digital in many right. areas. That's right. I was uh, myself as a young man. My first job was actually at Barnes and Noble Sale Annex, which was on located on Fifth Avenue and Eighteenth Street. Don't look for it; it's not there anymore. But at the time. I worked in the rare books. Well, not your rare books. It was used. It's okay. Don't worry about it. We're used books area. And the reason I bring it up is because you there were like 20 people there that would you would come through every, every all the time, sometimes daily, to try to catch, you know, get that because we'd replenish. They'd be constantly purchasing from individuals that were unloading their books and then putting, you know, uh, inventorizing them and stamp, you know, putting a price and then putting them out on, on the shelves. And so, you know, you really got a, I really got a sense of, uh, there's, yeah, there's a in, hunger for the new arrival and scooping it up before someone else does. But so the book scout is what oh, I think probably were people who were coming in. Oh, maybe, maybe. Yeah. But you just, it was just what, what I guess I was noticed was a book culture. These people were coming from this. I'm talking about this was, going on 30 years ago so you know where but but guys would it would almost entirely men not not completely but they would come in and they would be coming from the strand or you know it's like an afternoon thing every day where it was their huge it was their life you know so i had an appreciation for it uh books and you know always grew up with books so the film it's called the booksellers it opens up on uh march 6th at the quad cinema in new york city only a couple of blocks from the Strand, I might add, which is one of the subjects in the in that stars in the film. Uh, uh, yes, and uh, we will have some very special guests doing Q and A's opening oh, weekend and all week really? um, from the book world. Like who? Um, oh, from the book world. Never mind. I thought you mentioned. I thought you were trying to include me in that. Um, <laughs> well, you you may be one of our guest moderators. I hear. Okay. <laughs> um, no, I'm too busy. <laughs> Um, the Strand, yeah, Nancy Bass Wyden, the owner of The Strand, is mm, in the film. Of course. Um, I remember her father are, very well, actually, for growing up. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, sh- uh, hopefully she'll be around on opening weekend to answer questions. Um, they have a new sh- store opening on the Upper West Side, which oh, is exciting. Oh, yes, I did so just read instead that. Instead of closings, we have an opening happening, so that's always good. Yeah, and I'm also, you know, not to plug The Strand out, go out of my way, but they, they've been doing such great events there. They, they have a great series of live live literary events you know they've really discovered ways of keeping things moving and keeping things exciting and they have a great admission process where you know but i'm sure about this where if you buy the book so let's say you know the author 
goes to do a talk, if you buy their book, that's your admission to the uh, event. Otherwise, you have to pay cash. Hmm. So it's a nice way of doing it. It's a lot of silence after that. Anyway, also, I'm just saying, go check out the Strands uh, uh-huh. event series. And now they're moving to the Upper West Side. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that is nice. But the, it, it sounds as though from the, the film, the booksellers, directed by D.W. Young, produced by Judith Mizrahi and Dan Wexler at Al, that uh, who's your pro- you, you have an executive producer uh, by Park, the way? Parker Posey what? is our executive producer. Wow, um, we're That's hoping impressive. she's going to be there on opening weekend as well. Um, yeah. And she also does a little uh, voiceover narration in the film. That's great. And she was fantastic to work with. I bet. It sounds like from the film that there are more bookstores returning too. Is that true? Independence bookstores? Or is Fran Drescher? Uh, Fran Drescher? Fran Leibowitz. I grew up with Fran Drescher. It's not arbitrary. We won't tell Fran that you <laughs> said she was the other Fran. You can tell her, but it won't be in the podcast. But Fran Leibowitz, I think also uh, my dear friend Fran Leibowitz also says that... Uh, uh, what did she say about the book? Oh, they used to not be called independent bookstores. They were just called bookstores. But it wasn't until big box stores uh, crowbarred their way into the city and put out all these mom and pop places, right, Dan, that uh, we started calling those. There's only a few independent bookstores left. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a new type of bookstore, and, and one of them that's featured in the film, maybe DW will, will talk about. Yeah, I mean, um, I think Left Bank Books, who qualifies as, um, I think, some uh, there's a sort of a research, I think, of smaller bookstores. Yeah. Have a little more focused, have a little more of a social element. Um, I think that's in, in terms of generally speaking, I think generally speaking across the country, they tend to still be newer, selling new books with yes, but maybe a little right. more um, focused on what they do. But I think in New York, some of these are also dealing in, on the rare side and Left Bank okay. um, is, oh, is, you know, they're in the film and they've recently opened and are doing some really interesting Where are they? Uh, the West Village on Perry Street. Oh, okay. And they're doing some interesting stuff with... That's the one that went into the, shoe, the uh, upscale shoe, yes. shoe yeah, store. Yes, yeah. yeah, And Eric was saying in the film how you know they engage with their neighborhood. So it's, yeah. a, it's a very... They, they feel connected in that way. And it's a... Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a new kind of boutique yeah. kind of shop. I think it's focused on being local and providing something that's absent from the bigger stores, obviously. There's so much to say about the film. I mean, we didn't even talk about the auctioning and that that whole part of it, but the majority of the film is about this subculture of, uh, I'd say you have about six or seven subjects that are book collectors. And at the end, you bring them together for a bit of a gathering. Yeah. How how was that? And did that was that tricky? Because well, they must was, hate was, each other would... with a passion. Well, we didn't bring together people who hated each other. Although that would have been interesting. It probably would have. <laughs> are there some people that do? I was kidding. Of, of course, course there. Are. Well, are there? Aren't there always? Yeah. Um, like that son of a bitch. He got that copy, and I've been looking for it for years. And they. There's a lot of stuff like. That. And, yeah. And I think in almost any business. That's probably true. Um, you know, we we so it, you know it was a sort of planned stage dinner, but I think it was meant to reflect at the Grolier Club in New York. Oh yeah. Kind of, Love that place. Uh, a common occurrence amongst booksellers, they like to eat, get together, talk certain times of the year when it makes sense, and then share information. And a lot, I think a lot of, yeah, a lot of, um, a lot of stuff comes out there that, and you know, maybe you wouldn't get so naturally in just sort of a formal sit down interview, a kind of uh, repartee, and you know, so we shot a whole bunch of it that was really good stuff, but only that little bit in the end fit into the film. Um, mm-hmm. It's just one of those things that we had to sure make excise. Some, uh, yeah, but stuff, yeah. I think w- it could be some good special feature material. Mm-hmm. Greenwich Entertainment had their 
they're a great new newish distributor, right? They they distributed our friend Jeremy Workman's documentary, The World Before Our Feet. Yes. And uh um yeah, they I know are distributing your film as well. They've been they've been fantastic to work with. Also they um yeah, they're as I said, they're opening uh, LA after New York and they're they have plans for a bunch of other cities. When is LA? Uh April third. April third. Um and uh, they're yeah they're just doing some really terrific outreach to to all the uh, bookstores and um, or book organizations in the city and country. Well, not only does this kind of give you hope, a sense of hope about books, and that there's so many people out there that are not only the deep deep divers that are uh, you know like Dan here, but that are also just in general have a passion for the printed page, and likewise as an extension of that that documentaries about that are compelling and might bring you know a crowd to see a film of like um so well, i would always add that you know as much as the film is about books and books as physical objects and you know and, and appreciating some Fetish their qualities art. but i think it, it also it's about the people in the trade and sure. so it is, in the end it's still right. a movie about people mm-hmm. i think these are very compelling people there's very smart people who've kind of found their calling and i think a lot of these cases in a very particular way right. um, who would right. never quite fit in a lot of other jobs or uh, you know yeah. careers but are perfectly suited for what they do here and if you go opening weekend you might meet some of them because i'm sure they're coming to the documentary bringing their their other friend <laughs> with them and <laughs> sorry guys if you're listening and you probably are i i'm just teasing i'm i i shouldn't say that but uh, um <laughs> With booksellers, it's in- interesting because not only are they, you know, usually extremely smart and, yes, and of course. Yeah. passionate, there's also kind of often, I would say, a level of obsession, like good mm-hmm. obsession, desire, like, and that comes out, I think, I think what makes these people such interesting um, characters in general and mm-hmm. in the film is because because of that, uh, mm-hmm. that little bit of, of, of obsession. What do you say, Dan? For sure. And uh, I think the idea to do a a scene where people, a bunch of them were eating together, it wasn't just, um, it, it was, it, it was really about the fact that I, when DW and I were talking, you know, this is what they love to socialize this group of people and just talk about. And food is very important. So if you do a book fair in another city, it's, you line up where the best restaurants are, where you're going to eat and talk and these meals go for, for hours on end. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's a it's a lively community. There's a lot of gossip, a lot mm-hmm. of talk, mm-hmm. um, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. What's your most recent um, purchase and sale? Can you, talk, can you say it? Um, well, or as it far up. as sales go, uh, we just came back. A lo- many booksellers did, and including a number that are in the film from the California Book Fair, which was held. It, they take turns, the northern and southern halves of the state, so there's not... Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's the fair way to do it, I suppose. And uh, this year it was in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd have to go through the, to see what the order that they sold. But we, we sold quite a few books mm-hmm. um, out, in, uh, out in Pasadena. I'm just running, try to share an interesting one. But uh, in terms of purchases, I didn't actually buy anything at the fair. That's considered um, somewhat uncool. So a lot of the booksellers, when they arrive, if you really want to show how tough you are. You don't bother setting up your own booth to make sales. You you run around and buy other people's material. Mm. So I didn't do that at this particular fair, but um, many of my colleagues did. Well, mention, at least share, I guess, 
a purchase that you're particularly or some a okay. book that you all right have, well the last purchase that i was yeah super excited about was actually at the brooklyn book fair um oh. i bought uh, borges's own personal copy of dante so that immediately became one of my prized possessions <laughs> yeah i have a lot in your paypal account i guess um <laughs> as well I, uh, it was somewhat of a trade i sold something expensive and then negotiated oh, yeah um but as dw was saying about the the history of these books have unique histories and when you get something like that someone as great as borges and it almost seems unreal to me as someone who started reading him in paperback editions and stuff like that that i could have um his personal copy of dante with notes in it it's it's still it's you either get how extraordinary that is or you don't but for mm-hmm. me that that's that it how would you right ever sell top. that again though? um well i i'll just, try try not to sell it again uh, okay. that was one that <laughs> it's going in the private collection as they say i see yeah, that's always a tricky thing i think for dealers is separating what when they get something they really personally yearn for yeah um how to deal with relinquishing that at some point or not and at some point you know i think the demands of the trade sometimes you need the money to buy the things for the business and um you know you have to let it go i know justin schiller's in the film film talks about i don't think he talks about in the film but i've talked to him about letting go some of really extraordinary things um that he owned over the years um some alice some uh, a lot of frank Baum Oz stuff like original, but I think mm-hmm. he had an mm-hmm. Alice. One of, he had a really important Alice in Wonderland, right? Um, do you remember which one it was? I, I don't remember the exact um, what the spe- so particular about the copy, but b- booksellers often refer to these as their retirement fund. Uh, so if they do tuck something away, right? Very often it is it, it's always sold eventually. Um, books outlive their owners, but uh, another bookseller in the film, Dave Bergman, talks about. Um, oh, that I'm buying that. That's for my retirement fund. So if they get a good deal, they they try to sell other material that they have, and keep going with that, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. save those mm-hmm. those yeah. gems for when they absolutely have to but, sell them. And I think Justin talks a little bit. He mentioned to me about this feeling of being, you have the spirit of the thing in you for this time that you have it. Wow, which, which yeah. is pretty intense. Can you, last question, guys? Can you? Well, last question for Dan, I guess. Can you be a, a rare book? collector seller and not love books i'm not going to mention any names i think there are a, f- a, f- a few out there but it they're it's quite rare they certainly wouldn't make for good they're subject rare in the film. they're rare they're quite rare and and they the would exception make, to the rule they make they would make poor we, no one who appears in this film falls into that category That's well true. said yeah. well said so nothing but the real mccoy here in this film Friday, show up this weekend. Uh, I'm saying it like that because I'm going to post this right before the weekend uh, that it it premieres. Um, It's important to go out and support documentaries and the printed page, too. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Great. Now, I want you to do exactly like that one more time. Just uh, this is my safety.
So we'll be back in a few days with another episode. Hopefully my uh, health will be back where it belongs. We have James Makowski, who is the archivist for uh, Zotrope, American Zotrope. Believe it or not, he is going to tell us all about uh, working for uh, Francis Ford Coppola for the re-release of one of their classics. I'm talking about The Conversation. It's coming back to theaters. Can you believe it? It's one of my favorite films. So I was excited to bring on James onto the show. And we're going to talk about The Conversation and Francis Ford Coppola and much more. And we also have filmmakers. Check it out. Beth B. returns to the show. She's that downtown, underground filmmaker from years back. She has a new documentary about punk rock singer and activist Lydia Lunch. And also returning to the show, the filmmaker Sally Potter with a new film called The Road's Not Taken. It's a really intense, dramatic film with Javier Bardem. I'll tell you more about it next week when my health... And, and I should mention two folks from a new film that um, uh, called The Climb. It's opening soon. We're going to have the filmmaker Michael Angelo Covino and his actor Kyle Marvin. They're going to be on the show. And uh, much more, of course, here on Film Wax Radio. Take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Until next time. Switches, broken game.